The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is the Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I am Bill Amadeo of McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates, and we're doing some content for the Jail Visit tonight. What about Cooley? Crim Law Department, circa 2005. Let me start with this. You know, it's weird. Because a lot of people look back at law school with such love, such passion. I don't. I, I really don't. I should look back at it with some disgust. And there's a few people that truly disgust me. And I will tell you, this week, I was talking to my friend John Granger. We're in the Cooley alumni page. And all these articles are being posted. How things are bad at Cooley now. You know, I don't know, because they really don't seem to give a damn about successful alumni. Example, I get a dismissal of 100 years of felonies. They don't seem to care. Somebody I went to law school with self-publishes a sci-fi book and sells it to three people, and they get mentioned as a successful alum. I don't know what you guys are doing. With that being said, I can't help but go back to a few things I heard in law school. And we're going to zone in on the criminal law department. In particular, Norman Fell. Professor Fell, if you want to call him a professor. I want to rip into him today. Just, guy has pissed me off. In law school, Nancy Wanch is a tenured or was a tenured professor at Cooley. And on the Cooley alumni page, there was a, another alum, and he posted how Nancy Wanch said... If you're not a 3.0 at Cooley, you might as well just give it up. You'll never make it as a lawyer. Of course, there's exceptions to the rules. And I just looked at this guy. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm a f***ing exception, huh? You know, I've said this before. You get the grades in college to sit for the LSAT. You take the LSAT to get into law school. You get the grades in law school to sit for the bar. You get the score on the bar to practice in the real world. And none of these things have one thing to do with each other. And for some professor 
to say if you're not a 3.0, you're not going to make it. It's bullshit like that that makes people go up on their dreams. Get the grades to move on to the next level, and grades are important for that. But the fact that we judge future talent based upon grades, are you fucking kidding me? This woman doesn't have a clue about talent. And you can quote me on that. I hope she's watching. If you're not a 3.0, give it up. Who the hell was she to say give it up? And Dean Cerconi. He sat there talking to all the first termers, explaining how the grades were so important and how you don't use tutors, you don't do this, you don't do that. And then Dr. Patricia Wilson, her fucking Nelson Denny test. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I am not a lawyer, but I know how to train good lawyers. That'd be like me saying, I train good mechanics. Um, no I don't. I know how to fix a car. The thing about Cooley, which was fascinating back then, we came in with 1,250 people in our class. Um, maybe 250 graduated, another 200 transferred, the rest either failed out, had mental breakdowns, just lost interest in the law, whatever. But part of our business model back then was taking what we call at-risk students. And we were at-risk, if you would. On the numbers, cool, we would get financial aid from us for three terms, we'd be gone. Well, you could stick numbers up your ass. And there was such this level of arrogance. We are Cooley. Okay, well, let's break Cooley down. You're a fourth-tier law school, guys. This would be the equivalent of playing Division Three football. Now, as I have proven, John Granger and many others... You could play Division Three football and be a f***ing Pro Bowl or a Hall of Famer. However, it was against you. But this would be like a little Division Three football program with the arrogance of the University of Alabama. It was like a f***ing cult, man. It was like a cult. We're cool, and we're this, and we're that. We have our own ranking systems. Well... The thing that got me, the thing that really hit me, was my first class in law school. Crim Law. August of 2004, and I was lucky enough to have Norman Fell as not only my Crim Law professor, but as my supervisor in the Innocence Project. Let's bash. I went up to Norman Fell on the first break of law school in August of 2004. And I put my hand out to shake his hand, and he looked at me like I had three heads. And I asked him what his thoughts were on the Gary Gilmore case. Being a criminal lawyer from the 70s, I was curious what he thought about the Gary Gilmore case. And the Gary Gilmore case was something I read many books on, I studied it. Now, mind you, I don't want to be a criminal lawyer. I was just fascinated with the field of criminal law. And Norman Fell looked at me with this weird look on his face. And he said, who is Gary Gilmore? Whoa, okay. That would be like a basketball player saying, I don't know. Is the ball orange? Huh. 
you shoot it in that thing called a hoop? That was the first sign. And Fell would tell these stories. He once bragged, and I'd be sitting there on court appointed work making up to $70 an hour, like this was big money or something. Okay? I don't know Norm Fell at this time. But he kind of, he loved hearing himself talk. If you talk to Norm Fell, he would say that he was the best criminal lawyer ever met. He would tell you these stories, but if you really break down the stats, hmm, hmm, gotta tell you, Normie, didn't really pan out. Now, of course, as luck would have it, I got a D my first term of law school in crim law, and I was on academic probation. Here's why I got the D. You couldn't read my handwriting. I had dysgraphia, and Fell just basically told me I didn't have what it took to be in law school. When you were on academic probation, what Cooley made you do was actually go to meet with the professors that gave you bad grades. So I had the pleasure of meeting with Norm Fell. And he said to me, why don't you just go back to New Jersey and bartend? You don't have what it takes to be a lawyer. And I said, you didn't read my essays. And I'm fighting him. So let me type my essays out. And let's see what I really did. And there was a roommate I had, Joe Andrews, who I can't stand today. But Joe did one good thing after mooching for me for three years in law school. One good thing Joe did was Joe got like an A in the class and I had my blue books and Joe's blue books and I typed up my essays and I said to Fell, compare these two. One's an A and one's a D. And Fell said, I don't have time to do all that. No, of course you don't, Norm. You were working six hours a week, you poor busy son of a bitch. Taught two classes three hours a week and acted like he was the hardest working mother in the world he wouldn't read my essays and patricia wilson at the academic resource center is saying you we know norman fell he read your essays you're just too stupid for cooley not everybody has what it takes to be a cooley student i'm livid right dr wilson's telling me go back to jersey go bartend and she actually said the new jersey educational system is not on the level of the Michigan educational system. I gotta tell you guys, I work with a lot of Michigan lawyers and I'm highly concerned about the Michigan system. I'll just leave it at that for now. With that being stated, and I don't say that, I know, it's funny, but I don't say that to brag about Jersey. Who the f was Dr. Patricia Wilson and Norman Fell to tell me I couldn't be a lawyer? Mm. Luckily for me, I had the pleasure of having Norm Fell in the Innocence Project. He was my direct supervisor. Wow. So Fell had a system. You had to meet with him once a week to go over your cases, right? And he hated the half hour he spent with me. I would walk in with a bunch of cases. I'm trying to work. My first term the Innocence Project, I set a record for hours. You had to do 90 hours for the term, right? I think I had 90 hours done like week four. And I just kept piling hours. 
And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to be a criminal lawyer, but I sure as want to get somebody out of prison that doesn't belong there. And here is my roommate, Joe Andrews. And when I say roommate, I mean the guy that stayed at my house for free and never paid for rent or bought food. Joe would explain to me, and Joe was an academic star at Cooley, which is horrifying. We'll get that out later. Joe would explain to me why Fell doesn't like me. Like, Fell would talk shit about me to other students. When I wasn't there, he would say, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'll never make it as a lawyer. I mean, he was just brutal. But he loved Joe. Joe was his golden boy. And I said to Joe one day, I don't get it. I'm working my balls off. You barely show up. He loves you. He treats me like dirt. And Joe said, and I quote, and lawyers pay close attention to this. You make too much work for him. Huh. That's like a fucking prosecutor saying, oh man, those Stanaway motions, they're exhausting. You shouldn't file them. You might win a case. Fell told me I would never make it to the lawyer, and I'm no Joe Andrews. You're right, man. I'm no Joe Andrews. Uh, thank God for that. You know, I mean, I could aspire to be Joe Andrews. Like, if I wanted to plead my client's guilty as charge and not fight for them, maybe I could have beat Joe Andrews, but I'm not. By the way, Norm, I think Joe Andrews is back in Virginia working as a community organizer. He couldn't kind of take the pressure of criminal law, just so we know. That was your golden boy, right? Norman Fell is somebody I can't stand with a passion. And when I'm tired and exhausted, I've been working like 7 o'clock today. When I am wiped out and I got nothing left in the tank, I think, let me go an extra hour just to stick it up Norman Fell's. So, Norm, if you're watching this, look at the scoreboard, bro. These professors who don't encourage kids and tell them to give up based on their subjective view of essays or essays they don't read it makes me sick in my stomach you can't measure heart you can't measure work ethic you can't measure passion grades are the most overrated thing in the world and I got the grades only because I had to get them to get to the next level but to judge me on some standardized test when I had dyslexia and a horrible condition of it, to say I can't make it because this guy did better than his multiple choice as a first-termer, are you fucking kidding me, dude? I've gotten more dismissals in two years than Norman Fellows got in his whole career. You could quote me on that. You want to compare, Norm? And Norm, if you're watching, I know you like to stalk my Facebook, if you're watching anytime you want to debate crim law with me we will do it and sell fucking tickets bro you could bring joe andrews too maybe you could hold your fucking coffee anyway because i did so bad in crim law i had to take it again and i was on academic probation grady jessup was the polar opposite of norman fell what professor jessup used to do is constantly make himself available for students. He'd be breaking essays down with you and telling you stories about his criminal law career. And Grady Jessup was an amazing mentor. 
I killed it in Grady Jessup's class. I used to go to his class twice. My second term of law school, and this really, this tells you a little bit about Cooley, right? I went to my class for Jessup, and then I went to, I had torts too with Mark Dotson. What I used to do is I used to go to the class twice. I would go sit in the back to hear the material again. That's how dedicated I was. And of course, Cooley said we had a problem with this. I got called into one of the dean's offices. You cannot go to the class twice. It's unfair to the other students. You're only paying for one class. Now, let me be clear, even though I'm an academic. It was exactly like a ticket to the f***ing Final Four, okay? I was going to listen to the material twice because my thought process was the hypos that were provided in one class might be slightly different than the other class, and if the exact hypos would be provided in both classes, that might give me an edge on my finals. My grades were soaring at that point, and this is one of the reasons why. And some of the deans said, we will not allow you to attend a second session. You cannot sit in the back and listen to the material again. I gotta tell you right there, we're discouraging work ethic. Grady Jessup was one of the best professors I've ever known. Kathy Swedlow. She was known as a really brutal grader. What I do know about Professor Swedlow, or former Professor Swedlow, is that when I was tutoring, she told a lot of people not to come to my company. I don't know the law, I teach bad law and such. Um, ironically, her and Norman Fell were very close. One time, her and Norman Fell did this outline, which was a bold thing, and they copyrighted it like they were like Prosser on torts. It was kind of fascinating. I never saw a department, and I'm talking about Fell, but sweat a little bit, where there was such little accomplishments there, but they bragged about how brilliant they both were. Yes, I know Swedlow got people off death row. Um, they did life in prison, but they didn't actually get the death penalty. Congrats, Kathy. That was huge. It might see us see people often walk out with no penalty, but we'll leave that for another time. Ron Bretz. I didn't have Bretz as a professor, unfortunately. Really cool guy. Played in the band, Wealth of Knowledge and Crim Law. Actually told people how great my tutoring company was when I was struggling back in the day. He advised people that going to my tutoring company would be a good thing. I appreciate Ron Bretz, but I don't have a lot of first-hand knowledge of him. Who I do have first-hand knowledge of is James Peden. I was lucky enough to have James Peden for CrimPro. And uh, the man just understood crim law like nobody's business. He was a former public defender. And to me, criminal procedure and evidence are the two most important classes for anybody that wants to be a criminal defense lawyer. You learn the process. You learn how the Constitution interplays with everything. This guy just got it, man. He cared about his students. He made himself available for office hours. He reviewed essays. He taught you things that were not just in the book. Peden and Jessup were two of the best professors anybody could ever hope for. 
And of course, both of them got fired from Cooley. I mean, God forbid we have professors that give a f right? I'm so disgusted with the Norman Fells of the world. And you know, Nancy watches and her bullshit statements about you gotta be a 3.0 or you'll never make it. My GPA for the record was a lot higher than 3.0 at the end of the day. But for a while there, I was struggling. I was on active probation and I learned the system. To categorize somebody the way she does, does or did, to judge somebody based on a standardized test, to not know what really is in her chemical makeup, that's f***ed up, man. That's wrong. Too many people give up their dreams because somebody who's pissed off they didn't reach their dreams told them they couldn't make it. Think about that. I will say this to Norm Fell, and I'm actually grateful to you, Norm. The most inspirational words I ever heard were from people who told me I couldn't make it, dude. And you told that. You instilled that in me that I couldn't make it. And a weak mind would have listened to your fucking bullshit. Can't stand the sight of you, but I'm very grateful I met an ass like you. Because every time I gotta climb up against the wall, I think of you. And I think I gotta be three times better than you because my client deserves that. So thanks, Norm. I think the criminal law department, when I look at a Peden and a Bretz and Jessup was really good, and of course Cooley got rid of all these great professors. The arrogance at Cooley back then was utterly amazing to me. How they were so conceited. How they shattered so many dreams. And some of the people that were talking shit had no right. You gotta remember something, guys. Whether it's a professor, a relationship, whatever. When somebody is not looking for the positives in you and trying to say, hey, you could do this if you do that, as opposed to just saying you suck. That negative person, get them the f*** out of your life. There was so much negativity at Cooley, but I knew I had to use Cooley to get to this. They tried to destroy my tutoring company. They talked shit. They put so many people down, and there were so many people, the Norman Fells of the world, put down that quit. That sucks. So Norm, I hope you're watching. I know you will at some point. Kathy Swello, I don't really have an opinion of you. I know what you said about my company and I think the, it all came out in the wash. Patricia Wilson, <laughs> whatever. Sirconi, to the guy who wouldn't let me put a tutoring table to compete with Barbary and then went to his little unaccredited school. And Nancy Wanch to actually say that if you're not a 3.0, you might as well throw in the tail. That's a lot of dysfunction, man. I hope to God that in 2005 that Cooley had some really strong mental health professionals on payroll and their insurance was great. Because a lot of these people need it shrinks desperately. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. 
This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Atay, I traveled so much this week, I feel like a caravan, a criminal wall. Today, we were in Barry County. Tomorrow's Standish, I believe. Rock tour just keeps going. So, I'm a little, little more tired than usual. You start your day in the gym, then you go hit your rock tour, then you come back and do motions and study and blah, blah, blah. It's always fascinating seeing different courthouses. You know, when you're driving through Battle Creek, all you see is churches and liquor stores. Fascinating. For some reason, I was going through Battle Creek today, and I was inspired to do this live. So today, we're going to talk about St. James. We're kicking it back to grammar school. And the old candy sales at St. James. And other drama that happened. God, St. James, what a group of assholes were. I could say that today, it's fine. And uh, then we'll talk about bar events. When I say bar events, I mean, like, legal bar events. Those things you go to when you're a young lawyer, you're naive. Those networking events. There's some interesting ones. I'm going to tell you about one I went to, which was about the cannabis section of the Michigan bar. And for those of you that know me, I never smoked weed in my life. But there was somebody who worked at our firm who was this huge cannabis person. I mean, this guy thought cannabis was the greatest thing in the world. He went to this event one time, and... Some good memories. I never thought that six years later I'd be doing a Facebook Live about it. But, you know, these things happen. Let's get back to St. James. So every year, St. James would probably do about 20 fundraisers. I'm being facetious, but maybe I'm not. I mean, they were always looking for money. I mean, they had their handout more than a crazy ex-girlfriend who tells you she still has feelings for you, but she'd like to borrow some money from you so she could take her new man out to dinner. Uh, Whatever. You know, and some of those situations, I advise, give them some cash if they promise not to call you anymore. These are here nor there. My Catholic school days... <laughs> sorry, filters off. My Catholic school days, man, they always wanted more money. And one of the things they used to do at St. James every year is they would bring in this guy. Weird-looking guy. And he would be the candy salesman. And he would give a speech to all the kids about how you gotta sell these overpriced candy bars. And let me tell you, the candy bars tasted like shit. These weren't like Snickers or Milky Ways, okay? These were these crappy, like, knockoff candy bars. But if you go to St. James, you gotta sell these candy bars. And if you win, if you win these candy, if you win these events, guess what? You get an item. It's an amazing item. For example... You get a Game Boy from Nintendo. The Game Boy is like $300. And if you sell $3,200 of candy bars, you're eligible to win the Game Boy. It's really weird. You know, and then at St. James, it was always kind of messed up. It was always rigged who won. But we were motivated. So this guy would get on stage. We would go down to the gym. And the teachers would lead the students down there. And here's all the nuns. And they're all excited because Mr. Williams, let's just call him, is going to give a speech about selling candy. 
And this guy will go up on the stage, and he's going to tell you, I left my job as an executive on Wall Street to sell these amazing candy bars. You too, kids, can follow in my footsteps. But to get to this level of success, you have to sell X amount of candy bars. And all the nuns and teachers will be clapping. All right, Mr. Williams, you're the man. Okay, let me tell you, Mr. Williams. Mr. Williams is some unemployed idiot who's selling f***ing candy to Catholic schools at overpriced rates so he could somehow pay his mortgage. He's burned out. His wife's scamming on him. He's trying to have an affair, but he's too ugly to pull it off. But he's got these boxes of candy bars going from school to school. And these nuns and teachers, well, you had to see what they look like, okay? If you saw what they look like, you understand why they're so excited because this guy's coming in. So, oh my God, a man's coming in who's not a priest. Maybe he'll find one of us attractive. Can we buy some candy bars? It was like a cult revival of unattractive religious people. And I'm sitting here, like, the teachers are ugly. This guy's an idiot. He's pitching these candy bars. Here's Linda McDevitt, the eighth grade teacher. Ugh. You've heard me talk about her before. This large woman would be telling us, you better sell those candy bars. I guess she was getting a piece of it. I don't know. But these candy bars were the thing. And... You know, and I gotta tell you, I'm not a candy bar eater today, but they tasted like shit. It'd be like charging $3 for a bar that's less appealing than a Snickers in 1989. Who the f*** buying this shit? And the best part was Atlantic City, let's go door to door. Well, let me know how far that goes before you get murdered for your goddamn candy bars. But okay, the Ventner kids, the one whose families were doctors and lawyers, they would always sell the most candy bars because the families would buy the candy bars so they could have the best seats in church. And this is what you learned right now. This is a f***ing caste system, right? But this guy would come in and every year he'd pitch these candy bars. So one year, you get motivated, right? I'm going to sell the most candy bars. You're busting your ass selling these candy bars and blah, blah, blah. And you realize... Years later, you were being used. Every year, this idiot would come in, and he would go to St. Michael's when it was still around, Star to Sea, Blessed Sacrament. I mean, I want to know how the f*** this guy went to every Catholic school with this candy bar scam. And these teachers bought into it. I'm telling you guys, St. James Catholic School in the 80s and 90s was a cult. They would sell these candy bars and do these stupid, stupid fundraisers. The cut-a-thon. You gotta get your hair cut on this day because the church gets a cut. You know, and they would do this whole thing. In the guise of Jesus, we're making these sales. I can't stress to you how lousy these bars were. And of course, as you're riding the bus from Atlantic City to Ventnor to go to school, you start eating the bars. You're hungry. There's nothing else going on. Every bar you eat, well, there's more money into the church's pocket. You came up short in those bars, man. It was drama. You handed in $100, but it looks like there were 34 bars stolen. Coming out of your ass. Very weird, man. And then it got really clickish. 
there was this one ugly kid who was a good salesman. And if you see his wife today on Facebook, because he's ugly, she's somewhat attractive, so he must have been a really good salesman. Whenever you see an ugly guy with an attractive woman, you say to yourself, this guy has a history in sales. And this guy did. He was, like, way ahead of his time. I'm selling these candy bars, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And it was always fascinating. And you learn years later, his mother, who... She had her own issues. She would buy X amount of candy bars so her son could be listed as, like, one of the top salesmen of these candy bars. system was rigged. And... It used to be like this thing, like Miss McDevitt and these other teachers would brag about who were the top candy bar salesmen. They'd post on the board, oh, so-and-so sold this many, come on up here and take some applause. That place was so f***ing weird. Remember? I'm thinking, I know, I'm thinking of drama at St. James, right? In addition to the candy bar salesman, and I can't stress it again, this was an unattractive man who was unemployed selling candy to grammar school kids. And the teachers and the nuns and the priests were encouraging them to push these candy bars. Oh my god. Things were really odd at St. James, man. Um, remember bathroom breaks? Remember, I had a... I was sickly as a kid. And the candy bar thing kind of goes with these. Remember saying to Miss McDevitt, can I use the bathroom? And she was being a real bitch about it, right? And she said to me one time, I'm going to let you go this time. But you go to the bathroom and it's a sign to go to the bathroom. Let me give you a newsflash here. Going to the men's room or the boys' room at St. James was not exactly a treat. We were going to urinate. And I thought to myself, if this f***ing woman doesn't let me go to the bathroom, I'm just going to piss in class one day. It was really strange. And then she would mock you in front of the whole class. Oh, well, Billy has to go to the bathroom again. The class would be telling you. It would be like the greatest joke in the world. Ha, ha, ha. You have to go urinate. Which is weird, because I know I heard during Carl Barr's district court campaign, one of the things he brags about is having a great bladder. In some campaign literature I actually heard, he brags that he has a strong bladder, so therefore he does not need to go to the bathroom, and he could push some judicial economy. One more reason why we got to vote for Torchio Feaster in district court. By the way, on that district court theme, dealing with somebody today who's working against Torchio, I can tell you, people take politics worse than grammar school fashion shows. Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm supporting Torchio Feaster. But if we have to work together, it's okay. We could still be professional. Please take notes on that competition. Anyway, bathroom breaks at St. James were this big thing. When one of the teachers would let you go urinate, they were acting like they were doing you the greatest favor in the world. Well, you could go piss this time, but next time that's not going to happen. My God, I look back at my St. James days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Recess was always fascinating. I mean, it's just a South Jersey thing. I don't know. But they'd be sitting there 
like who had the better sneakers and they would it would be like a fashion show for the guys remember at recess there were these two kids they always had to be on the same wiffle ball team and if they weren't on the same wiffle ball team they refused to play and the teachers would say well they're close friends so they got to play on the same team together what are we preaching here here's what i want you to take from saint james today guys number one if you sell overpriced candy bars it's okay if you do it in the name of the lord number two bathroom breaks are amazing amenities so either you hold that piss in or you get a break to go to the bathroom and three if people are friends, they can't possibly ever be on the opposite ends of issues, even if it's wiffle ball. That place was f***ed up. You could quote me on that. And I know, I know. I always say, if there was a St. James reunion, I'm very concerned about attending. Because let's be real. I don't drink. I don't smoke weed. I don't use drugs. There's going to be some idiots there drinking. And there's a couple people I would just love to choke out. I got a lot to lose by just beating someone's ass, so I don't think I'll go to a St. James reunion. But hey guys, good luck with those candy sales, huh? I'm sure they're still going on. Anyway, moving from grammar school dysfunction to law dysfunction, let's talk about legal events that were not quite what they were cracked up to be. So when you become a lawyer, what they're going to do is tell you you can be part of all these different organizations. There's the sports law organization, there's the criminal organization, there's the cannabis organization, and you're paying all this extra money to be part of these organizations. So you go to one of these orgs, right? And you are literally like walking around the room with a bunch of business cards, much like a B&I situation. And you hand your business card to someone and they hand their business card to you and you're walking around and at the end of the night, you have all these business cards. And the only thing I could equate it to is like when you go to Vegas, you know, and like all the strip clubs and the hookers are giving you their business cards as you're walking down the strip. That's what it feels like going into some of these bar organizations. But, Things happen at these events. There's a lot of drinking involved. I'm going to tell you one story where alcohol and the law collided. In 2015 and 16, I was going to these events. I don't know any better. So you go to these events, right? You're shaking hands. I'm out of shape back then. I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to network. We're trying to find our way. You know, by 2018, 19, you're kind of like, okay, this is all bullshit. I'm not going. So, in 2019, actually it was 2020, a good friend of mine goes to an event. And it's a criminal event. And for some reason, there were some prosecutors at the criminal event. It was like these prosecutors and these criminal lawyers were holding hands on these issues about cannabis. And at the end of these events, what they do is they drink their ass off. 
they're drinking, they're partying, hooking up, and doing this and doing that. And my friend is at this event, and there's a very good-looking prosecutor he's very drawn to. And as she's drunk, she is bad-mouthing me. She's throwing back the shots. It's just, oh my god, you're friends with Amadeo. He is such a f***ing ass. I hate Bill so much. Now, my friend starts defending me. He's an amazing guy. He helped me find work when I couldn't find work. He's such a fighter. And she's going on and on. So he calls me. And I'm like, guys, I want you to pay real close attention to what I'm about to say. My friend calls me up. And he says, so-and-so is bad-mouthing you. I'm like, okay. He says, I don't know what to do. I've been defending you, and she's going on and on. And I said, you guys are socializing? He's like, yeah. One of the things she dropped in the conversation is how she hasn't been laid in a while. So I said to my friend, let me get this straight. She's at a social event. She's saying how she hasn't been laid. She's talking to you and bad-mouthing me. He said yes. And you want to get with her? I do. Let me give you some advice here. I mean this for any of the viewers at home. If bad-mouthing me helps you get laid with somebody you're attractive to, please bad-mouth me. I'll be okay. It's going to be all right. There are no hard feelings here, all right? I'm going to live. It's going to be fine. And I wish you well with that. I'm going to be okay, but apparently my name can bring ire in some situations. Please, please, knock yourself out. I'm going to be okay. And uh, he did badmouth me. And those to end up in a relationship briefly. He regrets that today. Um, I will say this, though. I'm glad I could help out the initial part of the process. And that helped him a lot. Other things you learn at these functions were if you pay this amount of money, and this goes back to the candy sales, you get this amazing benefits of membership. Like if you give us $400, you get this discount for 10% off it hurts. Be crazy not to join, right? You know, and as a young lawyer, you got all these gimmicks, right? And you're going on and on and on, and you're signing up for everything because you think this is your ticket. The best event I ever went to, the cannabis event. That was interesting. So this guy was working at our firm, and he's telling me he wants somebody from the firm to go with him to this event. And he says, all the best lawyers in Michigan are going to be there. And uh, you got to meet these people. And I'm not going to mention any names. Because you got to meet these people. It's an amazing group. Now, at the time, I don't do criminal law. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm watching. And I thought it was kind of weird when I walked in the room. 
because it looked like there was more than pot going on. You got these group of lawyers that are sweating profusely and they're telling jokes only they understand. And they're going on and on. And they're talking about older cases. And the guy with me, he's saying, oh my god, there's lawyer A and there's lawyer B. I don't know shit this time. He's telling me these are all the best lawyers in the state of Michigan. The brilliant criminal minds. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You learn later in time, they may not be as good as he thought they were. With that being stated, I don't know what's going on. But the most memorable part of this event was when this one lawyer was given this speech. And he was like the fifth guy up, right? And they're telling these war stories about trials. And this guy's going on and on and on. And he goes, and then we did this, and then we did that, and then we did this, and then we did that. So all these people, they're like raising their hands and hugging this guy for what an amazing story he gave. What an amazing trial he had. So I don't know anything at this time. I said, hey, I got a question for you. And he goes, what's up? After the trial, did you poll the jury to say what really put you over the top? And he looked at me and goes, well, no, I didn't win that trial. So the guy tells me he didn't win this trial, right? And I'm confused because he's telling me this was his greatest moment of his career. Now listen, I get it. As criminal lawyers, it's not always easy to win trials. But this group of elite lawyers, I learned, they didn't win anything at this particular event. They just wanted to smoke pot. At the end of the evening, this one guy is walking around in like a bathrobe with this snifter of Hennessy, smoking a joint in public, explaining his philosophy on the new cannabis statute. As I'm choking on the pot, listen to this man in his bathrobe. I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way here. Watch your ass on those meetings, man. They will tell you about all these amazing events. What could happen is maybe you'll network. Or maybe you'll get a bunch of business cards of people you don't need. Maybe you'll get 10% off it hurts. Maybe i get a contact high from the pot. All right, I'm out.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.